You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 239 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the jet-setting Alison Tate. How are you, Al? (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat surprised to find myself out of my study, but I'm here. I made it. I'm here, and I have nothing to say about anything because I haven't been here long, but I'm here. And hi, Val. And hi, everyone. Yeah, awesome. That's you. So you've you've you haven't done the tourist thing yet. No, I haven't done anything. I'm Fair just enough. you know I'm recovering. I'm, I'm in recovery glad mode. That you got. I'm glad you got to Canada safe and sound. So and thank you for making the time to record the podcast for us. Um, good thing they've got good internet there. <laughs> It's amazing what they can do over here in the northern hemisphere. Well, what you can what you can also do while you are in Canada is a is wave. You know, it might be a, a little bit of a stretch. It might be hard for Katminsky to see you, but wave right. to Katminsky because Katminsky left us a review. Uh, about the podcast called oh. Great Chats About Writing with and About Writers. Um, and Kat Minsky is from the US. Oh, and okay. I'm said, waving. Good day. Yes. And they've said relaxed, candid chats between Val and Al about the process of writing and all its conundrums, challenges, meanderings, frustrations, and joys. They also run competitions, chat to other writers about their processes, and share all kinds of industry tips and insights. Hosted by two down-to-earth, very experienced writers. Oh, thanks, Kat Minsky. That's yes, cool. thank you very much for that. We really appreciate it. And I am waving at you across mm. the border. And, I, you know, just thank you for – I just think that's cool that we have listeners in the US. So do I. I'm you know? so excited by yeah. the fact. Do you know, I, I have to say that last week – I get a little thrill every single time this happens, but last week um, some uh, – a photo popped up on Instagram of the Mapmaker Chronicles, you know, out and about in the US, like just a random photo. And uh, it's such a thrill every time I see it. Like it's so exciting. Like there's my name, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere. And I'm actually going to be signing some books um, in Vancouver as (gasps) well. Yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be popping into a bookshop, a children's bookshop here, and I'll be signing some books and um, I might break my social media ban for that. So there may be photos, there may be photographic evidence of that. But um, I haven't got there yet, but I'm very excited excited about actually seeing them in a bookshop in the wild on the other on side the other of side of the, the world mm. well yeah exactly it's it's um it's a, it's a bit of a moment I have to say it is a bit of a moment it's a great moment <laughs> yeah all right so let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week you have some links for us Al what's the first one uh, okay, so the first one, she says, thinking about what it was that she was going to be talking about, um, is oh, it was some tips 
on the positive writer um, website. Mm. I just like the whole idea of being a positive writer, yeah. so I think we should go with that. Um, and it's six tips to help you finish your work in progress. Now, we often talk about making time to write. We talk about the fact that you know you've kind of got to get got got to get the words written. You can't you you can't submit a half finished book. You know, we do all of those sorts of things, and I think that one of the best tips of this, there are six tips here. The first one is to set daily and weekly writing goals. And, you know, like that, that kind of stuff is, is a very personal thing, whether or not you want to try to do X number of words a day, whether or not you'd rather aim for a certain number of words a week, how you want to manage that is, is totally up to you. But the second point is the one that I really wanted to talk about, because I think that this is one that we, we do. Okay. We, I, let's say I do bang, bang on about this on a regular basis. Um, So, but, you know, I feel like we can never reiterate this enough really because this is very unsexy and it's extremely (laughs) unromantic um, and I think people have a very romantic idea of writing their first novel and how this is going to go and what's going to happen and how it's all going to be, you know, the muse arriving and all that sort of stuff. But the second tip on this uh, positive writer piece is to schedule your writing time. And I have talked before, I remember writing a blog post ages ago about routines and how deeply, deeply unsexy routines are Mm -hmm. and how people never associate them with creativity. But in actual fact, a routine, a writing routine, actually putting it in your diary, having a schedule, doing the same thing, all of that kind of stuff, um, makes a huge difference to getting the words down Um, because I I think that the problem is that people think that they have to wait for inspiration Um, whereas uh, as I've said before if you show up and you sit your bottom down and you get out your pen or your notebook or your laptop or whatever it is that you choose to write on and actually just kind of get started it's amazing how many words you get done. Um, Mm. And I know, you know, it's one of those things that people say, oh, you focus too much on, I have had this, you know, criticism. I have had discussions online about this. People say you focus too much on word counts. And I, (laughs) I would say to that, that I, I do focus on getting words down. And I think that it's one of those situations because I think you have to move forward with a manuscript. And if you continue to move forward with a manuscript, even if the words are not perfect, you have something to work with and mm. you will never finish, never finish. You will never get to the end if you don't keep moving forward. So even if you write 200 words today and they're not brilliant and perhaps they don't advance your story the way that you want to, you've got yourself into the habit. You, you have to create yourself a writing habit and creating a writing habit is all about routine and scheduling. I'm sorry. Definitely. But it is. Um, and 100%. It, it is one of the great tools um, that every professional author I know will tell you the same thing. They don't, they're not waiting. They're not sitting around thinking, um, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to think about this for another five weeks in the hopes that the perfect opening line comes to me. They mm-hmm. sit at their desks every day, every yep. day um, or whatever their routine may be, and they actually write stuff. And they might read back over it the next day and just go, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine because somewhere in that thousand words that they got down, there'll be 200 they can use. Yep. Or perhaps the whole thousand are going to be genius. You never know. You just don't know. You don't know until you sit down and do it and you you won't ever know if you don't show up to do it. So I, I just wanted to, you know, 
have that discussion again. I think that that's so important because I think the key word there is routine Mm. Uh, and it's making sure that it's just a normal part of your day. And um, there's a book I read a while ago called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. And Mm. it's about uh, artists, meaning, you know, writers and artists and, but yeah, a whole heap of writers. And there are, I think, 161 different types of writers, poets, novelists, painters, scientists, whatever, um, who describe their daily routines are are described in this book and it's really interesting. And some of those routines aren't necessarily very glamorous. In Well, of course they're not. But some of them are a little bit like I can't actually remember who it was because there's lots of people in here like Charles Darwin, Andy Warhol, John Updike, uh, Jane Austen. But was, there was someone, some author's um, routine where they woke up, they had like, five cigarettes in bed and oh I remember that conversation (laughs) you know then like and four whiskeys and then they got up yeah 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 and wrote until lunch and then they went to meet their friend for lunch and had a sandwich or whatever but then wrote in the afternoon and then would have more whiskeys or something like that see I'd have I'd have four whiskeys in the morning and that would be the end of me I'd never get out of bed (laughs) I know but um yeah routine is is the key to success in my opinion. So you're, yeah. you're, it's very, very valid. So thanks for that link, Al. So mm. the next link is uh, also from you, Al. Mm. And it's another six. Obviously, it's my week of sixes. Yes. Um, and this was a great little um, a great little blog post that I shared via the Writers' Centre Facebook page, Australian Writers' Centre Facebook page, that, you know, went nuts because it's called The First Book, Six Lessons from a Debut Author. And, of course, you know, someone who's just been through the process for the first time, has just got the book deal, has just done all of those things, um, is, a, you know, a great person if you're if you're trying to, to do that, if that's you, if you're aspiring to, to be that debut author. Yeah. Um, th- I can't recommend reading these um, kinds of posts enough because these are people who have just done what you are trying to do. And um, this one is written by... H.C. Guildfind, I think is how I would write it, who's the author of a book called The Worry Front. And she, or um, I think it's a she, yes, she talks about uh, the, the, her six tips for getting, um, you know, getting yourself through this process and becoming um, a published debut author. Um, and, of course, the first tip um, is to submit. Mm. And I know that sounds like, like, I know you're all thinking seriously, like really, that's mm-hmm. it. That's the first one. But you would be amazed the number of people. So I had a conversation at a party a couple of weeks ago with a um, the older brother of a friend of mine and he is a poet and he also writes, uh, you know, songs and he's a very, you know, clever, clever writer. Um, and he has, I think, about 8 million short stories in his drawer. What? And seriously, we had this conversation because I said to him, he goes, I just, you know, I really want to, you know, do more with my writing because he does a lot of spoken word stuff and, you know, he's very, very clever. And um, he goes, I really want to do more with the, with, with, um, you know, with my writing. And I'm like, great. So what, what have you done? Have you submit, you know, what have you written? And he's telling me about all these stories he's written. Okay. What have you done with them? Nothing. And I'm like, what? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm too scared. I'm worried. 
I'm like, what are you worried about? Like, what's going to happen? What is the worst thing that can happen if you send this, you know, these stories, some of these stories off to literary journals or wherever it is that you, that you want to submit them. He goes, I I don't, you know, it's, it's that open-ended worry of, of, you know, it could be horrible. And I said, I will tell you what the worst thing that can happen is they will send you a letter, a very nice letter, a polite letter saying, thank you so much for your submission. Um, this, we, it's not quite right for us at the moment yes. or, you know, blah, 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 something like that. You know, the, I said, yes, they're going to reject it possibly. Um, you will get rejections. You know, if you're going to send out enough stories, there's definitely going to be rejections in your future. Mm. But at the end of the day, if you don't submit them, you are never going to be published. That's right. Absolutely. So, you know, you've got to, I mean, you've got to make sure it's your best work. Like I'm not mm. suggesting that you send out your first draft or, you know, the, the story you wrote when you were 14 or, or whatever, unless it's, you know, genius. Um, but think about the fact that if you don't submit, you can't get published. And, yeah. you know, and, and yes, you are going to be rejected. We've all been rejected. Every single published author or, you know, published short story writer or published whatever has been rejected probably several you know, hundred times over yep. the course of their careers, if they've been doing it for a long time. Um, but you know, it's the difference between being the published author and not is actually get, being brave enough, having the courage to submit. So, Put yourself out there. Tip number one: submit. Yes. Yep. That's hmm. that's the even though there are other tips, that yep. is the number one one yep. for sure. Absolutely. Because yep. so many people have the, those things in their drawers. Oh, and that's what drives. I said. I said, do you want to be that guy that, you know, dies at 80 and they find mm. 8 million short stories, you know, cluttering up your filing cabinets? Mm. And, he's, and I, he goes, no, I don't. And I said, well, you got to get over yourself. You know, you actually have to get over yourself and just yep. send it off. Well, one thing that might help people get over themselves is the Varuna Residential Fellowships for Writers in 2019. Isn't mm. that right, Al? Absolutely. This will definitely help you get over yourself, but you have to submit to get (laughs) one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, we'll put Um, the link in the show notes, but basically since 1991, Varuna, which is in the Blue Mountains, um, has offered residential fellowships and they go for two weeks um, generally. Well, mm -hmm. the – and – and – they you have to apply and in 2019 Varuna will award 24 residential fellowships and a lot of people find this particularly useful because you get to go to the writer's house at Varuna in the Blue Mountains for two weeks where I believe there's limited Wi-Fi <laughs> and um <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a good thing, and you stay there. So, yes, that's ideal. Let's do that. Exactly. So you can focus on your writing and focus on your novel, which is pretty awesome because, you know, and there's a small kitchen. You can, um, you know, cook your own stuff, I believe, and it's great because it's just some focused effort, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, it just allows you to immerse yourself in it. And you'll be there with other writers. You can sit around and talk about writing at night. It's accommodation yes. and full board is provided and you can develop an established writing project. So if you've got something that you're working on, um, have a look at the criteria, have a look at the, you know, at, at the submission details and give some thought to applying because, you know, someone's got to get them. So yes. why not you? Yeah, exactly. Um, they close, the applications close midnight on the 30th of July, 2018. So you have a bit of time. So make sure that you submit. 
as mm. Al says. Now, let's move on to our competition. Our competition this week, we have three copies of On the Right Track, the novel On the Right Track by Penelope Janu. Now, Penelope mm. Janu is uh, alumni, um, Australian Writers' Centre alumni. She's done courses um, at AWC and has had great success. Her debut novel, um, we interviewed her for a podcast not that long ago. Her debut novel was out um, last year, which was also set actually, which was actually set in Avalon in the Northern Beaches in Sydney. And um, she is now just kicking goals because On the Right Track is out now and she's got another book um, that's coming out, I believe, in October. So On the Right Track, here's a little bit about it. When the diminutive – I'm not saying this correctly – when the diminutive but fiery Golden Saunders falls from her horse and smashes her leg irreparably and her racing family is disgraced by a corruption scandal, she thinks she's hit rock bottom, a traumatic past, a charismatic stranger and a family legacy. Golden's quiet country life is about to get messy. So very, very excited for Penelope. Um, if you want to win a copy of this book, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 9th of July. And if you listen to this particular episode in the future, don't worry, just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and you will find another competition for you to enter. We do love a competition, don't we? We do love a competition. I love competition. I just, I've loved them ever since I was a kid. Right. But more importantly, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm, could not be more ready. I'm so excited. Okay. Badinage. I don't know mm. whether I'm pronouncing that right either. I um, would say badinage. It could be. That could just be me. That could just be me putting like a fake kind of French, you know, sort of thing. French thing on it. Yeah. Where do we won't do that? Yes. So this this b a d i n a g e. This means light-hearted, witty banter or chatter. So you might say, on the so you want to be a writer podcast, Alison and Valerie engage in a weekly session of badinage. <laughs> See, it just makes it sound like we're playing some kind of really bad sport, like badminton. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you just got to embrace it a bit more, Al. What about what about persiflage? Because I thought we were involved in persiflage and we now you're throwing involved, badinage at me. We can be involved in many things because we're clever. Okay. Okay. We're like the Gilmore Girls, is that yes, right? Yes, that's Just right. Just following on from last week. <laughs> that's right. We can <laughs> or we, not. <laughs> that's the case. With maybe. our witty banter. Oh, <laughs> good lord! The aspirational side of things. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's move on to who is our writer in residence this week. Ah, our writer in residence this week is James Bradley. Oh, yeah. um, now, this was a very fun interview. It was quite an interesting one. So, this actually came to me. Now, this is interesting. So, um, my son, Book Boy, is a member of the Love Oz YA committee, and, which is a committee of um, like half a dozen people who are kind of um, work together to try and promote, you know, 
Australian YA fiction. And they have a website at loveozya.com.au. And he has taken over. So he's been on the committee now for about six months and he's taken over doing the Q and A's on the blog. So he, you know, he does four, um, you know, sends out the Q and A to different authors and, um, and then they send it back and he uploads it and we do all that, you know, it's like another job, but who knows, you know, that's just what we do. Right. So, um, he, the James Bradley came to me via that because I knew James Bradley as an adult novelist, you know, and a highly regarded adult novelist. He's um, written several award-winning novels. Um, He also is a critic. um, So he does a lot of critiquing in the, in the newspapers and stuff of adult fiction, you know, literary fiction for the most part. And, um, and then I saw that, um, that Book Boy had done this Q&A with him, which was um, regarding his latest novel, which is called The Buried Ark, and is the second book in his YA science fiction trilogy. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, I need to talk to this man about why he's, you know, why is this particular book a YA novel? Why did he not write it as an adult novel? I, I'm just really interested in the, in the processes that 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 uh, authors go through of deciding what their stories are, you know, yes. how they're going to be marketed and all of that sort of stuff. So we, um, we ended up having this great old chat about, you know, his, um, you know, how he got started and how, um, and you know, the, his literary fiction and then how he switched over into YA. And anyway, you can hear all about it. I've just about told you the whole story, haven't I? But anyway, <laughs> bloody, bloody, blah, have a listen to James Bradley because he's far more erudite than I am. James Bradley is an award-winning novelist and critic. He is the author of four novels for adults, a book of poetry, two anthologies, and a trilogy of YA science fiction novels, the second of which, The Buried Ark, is out now. His first novel, Rack, won the Federation of Australian Writers Literary Award and the Kathleen Mitchell Literary Award, as well as being shortlisted for several other awards, including the Miles Franklin Award and the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Book. So welcome to the program, James. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, we're going to go back into the mists of time to 1997 when your first novel, Rack, was first published in Australia. How did it come to be published? Uh, Look, I think it came about in a reasonably unusual kind of way. I I had written another novel which got shortlisted for the Vogel and then didn't get published, and I... I'd kind of gone away and I'd done a year at film school and I, I, I came out of film school and I remember thinking to myself, what am I going to do now? And it's one of those odd things where I had a quite distinct, you know, you don't actually have to think about what you're going to do. And I thought, well, look, I can write a film and in 10 years time, I'll probably still be sitting around in a cafe taking meetings with people talking about the script. Um, or I could write a novel. And I kind of thought to myself, first of all, I like writing fiction more than I like writing screen stuff. And secondly, I was kind of more confident that if it was good or reasonably good, it would probably get published in a way that I wasn't confident about film scripts. So the, the thing with film scripts is they, you know, there's kind of, you can write a good film script and script that might never get made. If you write a good book, it will usually find a home you know not necessarily but you know it's your chances of finding a finding a someone published are much better i think mm. so you chose to write the novel yeah and i chose to write the novel so and I, i'd kind of had the idea for a while and I, I sat down and started started writing it i mean I'm, I'm making it sound like it was a very organized process and it wasn't particularly um but there was an element 
of actually thinking, what can I do at this point? I want to be a writer. And I, and I was in quite an odd situation because I'd been a lawyer and I had given up being a lawyer um, and I was working in an all-night video shop in King's Cross uh, and writing. And, nice. <laughs> and okay. you know, and, you know, that was an interesting phone call with my parents. Yeah. Um, I've given up being a lawyer. I'm now going to work in this video shop and write poems. Um, but, uh, you know, it was also that I – one of the things I'd been very aware of when I was a when I was a lawyer was I was surrounded by people who wished they'd done something different with their lives. Um, and I I don't know. One day after I'd been working for about eighteen months at it, I thought to myself, "This is you know, I want to write. I should go away and try and write." Um, and so I uh, I guess I I. I decided to do that, you know, so I kind of took that, I took that leap. So there was a, you know, there was an element of, there was an element of kind of thinking about it and deciding to do it definitely there because I'd kind of put myself on the line in that way. But it was, you know, it was also like any book, you know, you're kind of fairly chaotic process of getting there. Did you, so when, once you'd made the decision to sit down and write it, was the actual process to publication relatively straightforward, like in the sense of it, was it the traditional, I wrote the manuscript, I sent it to an agent, the agent picked it up and off it went? Not quite. Um, I, so I had already done a collection of stories for Random House, so I put an anthology together of, for them of um young writers and I'd published a book of poetry and I had already been kind of shortlisted for Vogel. So I sort of had a series of of people who knew what I did and were sort of interested in what I was doing. Mm. And so it, it kind of went to them and they they picked it up. Um, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, they're, they're, people always think about that kind of straightforward process. I'm not sure it is actually that straightforward a lot of the time. I think most people's path to publication tends to be a bit messy and a bit, you know, a, a bit sort of, you know, there are things that work and things that don't work and, you know, you, you get connected with somebody and then they pick it up. I have a good friend who's just sold a book overseas, um, which she, you know, done well here in Australia and she's had trouble finding anyone overseas. And, you know, in the end, you know, a, a group of us got together and put her in touch with a series of, publishers that we knew overseas and a couple of them offered on the book but uh, that was because she didn't have an agent but it was kind of a, a bit of an odd way for it to happen do you, mm. do, do you know what I mean so that yeah, yeah, that's it's like not a necessarily the tidy process typically yeah it's like a co-op approach like well you know the book sold the book sold itself we didn't sell the book but you know okay. we you know if you can open that door that's great so were you surprised because your your novel Rack was incredibly well received, like we just – I mentioned the various awards it won and the shortlisting for the Miles Franklin and all of that sort of stuff. Like did that surprise you or did it sort of – like was it was there anything about that process that made you think, heavens? Yeah, the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, it really was. I mean, it was a very strange process and I think I was – it's interesting. I look at a lot of the younger writers today and I feel like they, they're they much more prepared for what they're doing. Like I don't think I was particularly prepared for it and I don't think I really thought my way through it. And once it started to happen, it was kind of wonderful, but I don't know that I'd I'd ever expected any of it or, or thought it was going to happen. I mean, it was quite, you know, it was kind of wonderful, but also very surprising and made me feel... You know, uh, that, that kind of stuff always makes you feel kind of anxious. <laughs> well, that was you know, it's wonderful, my next but then, 
you know, well, it makes you it makes you anxious in that in that it makes you feel under pressure for the next thing that you do. But it also all of that stuff about feeling like you you're not necessarily you know all that kind of imposter syndrome stuff yeah. comes into play as well. Worthy. It's like, why is this happening to me? I'm not worthy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you don't finish a manuscript and think, oh well, for sure this is going to win prizes. You don't know automatically that you've done something that you know is going to be important with a capital I. <laughs> well, I don't know that I have done anything that's important with a capital I. But um, uh, look, I mean, certainly there are things you're writing. I mean, anything you write, you need to at least have moments when you really, really believe in it. So there's always a kind of vacillation back and forth between I think this is really good and I think this is dreadful. The answer is usually somewhere in the middle. Um, but you – yeah, look, I mean, I don't know that you – certainly I've written things that I think are good. Like, but, but the thing I've realised over the years is that there doesn't seem to be any particular correlation between the things I think are really good and the things the world thinks are really good. <laughs> <I like. laughs> yeah, and that's really acute when you're writing kind of – I do a lot of reviewing and non-fiction, and something that's very acute with reviewing and non-fiction. There are things you put a huge amount of effort into and you think are, are really terrific and they vanish without a trace. And then there's some – you know. I wouldn't say piece of crap, but there's something that you dash off really quickly that people really respond to. So, I mean, there's not actually – the same thing is kind of true with fiction. I don't feel there's a, a great correlation between your own sense of what it's like and necessarily what the world thinks it's like. So had you written your second book by the time, you know, all the sort of hoo-ha happened for, for Rack? Like, were you – or were you attempting to write whilst it was all going on? And if that's the case, you know, does it affect your writing process when you are, you know, dealing with all that? I think with the second one, it didn't. I mean, I wrote The Deep Field quite quickly and I wrote it quite fast after Rack and, you know, it was kind of written around all of that um, going on. Uh, and of my books, it's probably the one that I wrote with the greatest degree of confidence. I mean, I think with your first books, Certainly your first novel, you don't know how much you don't know. So a book like Rack, I kind of wrote, I think like most people with the belief that, you know, I was doing something special and new and, you know, that, that, that this really mattered and then it goes out into the world and you realise, you know, you're just another first time. <laughs> you know? but, um, but, but, uh, but the second one, I, I, I was really, I think I felt very confident about what I was doing. I really believed in what I was doing. I have to say the third one wasn't like that. You know, it went really off the rails. And I think it was partly about feeling that kind of pressure because the second one did well as well. And I I don't know. I remember thinking, now this next one's got to be even better than the last one. And it just kind of went really badly off the rails. I got really stuck. I got really, you know, I felt under terrible pressure, I guess, to make it to make it great, you know, and and that is a terrible, terrible place to be writing from. It is. You know? How did you work through that? Like what did how did you get to the end? Because that's the kind of thing that can just stop you in your tracks entirely. Well, and it kind of did. I mean I it took me about seven years to finish, um, and it was not a happy process. Um look, it was really it was really, really difficult and and kind of really damaging, I think, in lots of ways too. Because I mean I think there's a kind of confidence you need to write books are kind of, you know, I've been a bit good about this before, but I mean, I think you need to at some level believe you can do it, mm. you know, and I think I lost that, that belief. And certainly after I finished that third one, you know, which oddly enough is my most successful book because it ended up, um, 
Well, certainly in sales terms, because it ended up on a thing called Richard and Judy in the UK yeah. and sold, you know, a quarter of a million copies in the UK. It was this wow. huge thing over there, you know, um, which was odd because it was a book that I had such an ambivalent relationship with. But, but the, I guess I then tried to write another book which didn't work, and I, I, I then tried to write another book after that that didn't work, and books kept falling over, and and I, I, I guess I just lost that. You know, it's just that kind of confidence, that belief you can, you can do it, and and certainly, you know, it was really, it was really difficult. So I guess the, I mean, you, as you say, you wrote another book, and you wrote another book, and you wrote another book. So is writing your way through it the only way to do it? Is you know to come out the other end of, of feeling like that? Um, well, yes, in a short. You know, the short answer is yes. I mean, you know, I think all books have stages in the middle where you think, oh, I can't do this or this is dreadful and I'm never going to get there. Um, you know, and I think that is just part of the process. And I, I, I actually think that process of doubt is part of what makes you write well. I mean, there's that Thomas Mann line about, you know, a writer is someone who finds writing difficult. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of true. You know, I mean, you need to go through that process, process of doubt and and questioning, I think, to get to the book. And, you know, there are particular points in books that are always like that. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> with me, there's always a break point with a novel around 10,000 words, I find, which is mm. that point where you kind of have to, st- you know, you can stop, you stop being able to just keep rolling forward and you've got to kind of make some hard decisions about what you're doing. And I think also commit to whether you want to write that book, you know, because that's the point when it stops being an entertaining thing that you're doing and you have to start thinking, this is the next two years of my life. You know, <laughs> this is actually what I want to do. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some similar point in relationships with people. Um, uh, but, but, you know, and I think there's another, often a break point in the kind of around the middle, you know, when you're kind of halfway through and you're a really long way from the beginning and a really long way from the end, you know. Um, I once heard Alan Hollinghurst say that, that writing a book is, you know, it, it, it's like you spend the first few months dancing through clover and having a wonderful time, and then you're trapped in the desert for five years, wandering with no food and water, and then you slide down a hill on the end and land up on the ground. That's, <laughs> really that's, that's a very good, good, good analogy, actually. I really like that. It's <laughs> good, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that, I think you need to write through it. But I actually think also, I mean, one of the things I, you know, after I had all those books fall over after the Resurrectionist, I. I guess I started to think a lot about what I was doing and why I was doing it and to think about, you know, ways of kind of fooling myself into feeling confident about the books again, which, which I eventually did. But, you know, and a lot of that was just about writing through it, about trying to get past that fear that it wasn't going to work. So are you a planner or do you, uh, you know, you talk about writing those first 10,000 words. Do you kind of like sit down, start writing and then think, whoops, I better work out what I'm doing because that's how I work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not a planner. And look, and it's actually really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm working on a long nonfiction piece at the moment that involves a lot of research for a magazine. And I actually find that kind of piece quite difficult to write because I do all of my thinking by writing. Mm. You know, so, you know, I, when it comes to writing this kind of piece, I can go and do research, but I find that process not terribly useful because I don't know what I need to know until I'm writing the thing. Whereas some people go and do all of the research and then just synthesize it down. I find... I only work out what I need to know by writing, you know, and, and if it's a very research heavy piece that can be a bit complicated because you're kind of piddling along and then you're just like, Oh, I need to know this and I need to know that and I need to know this. So, <laughs> it's it's a, yeah. I'm very much. A, 
Oh, it's, I've been doing a bit of that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it is – It is. I'm very much someone who kind of makes it up as they go along. I tend to start a book. You know, with a book I tend to have maybe a character. I'll have some images. Sometimes I know what the ending is, you know, or where I'd like to get to, and then I just sort of feel it in. I sometimes have a sense of the shape. Like quite often I have a sense of the shape of the book, so I'll think of it's in – six or eight parts and there'll be a journey in the second half or do, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, something like yeah. that. So I'll have a kind of very broad sense of it, but no, I don't, I don't tend to do all that much planning. And, and the problem for me is if I do the planning, then I can't write the book because mm. I already know what happens. Yeah. I think we're talking from the same, so we're singing from the same, <laughs> same song book here, but, but we do talk yeah. about the importance of a little outline can go a long way when you're trying to write something particularly serious, which we'll talk about in a little minute. But first of all, I'd like to ask, do you write every day? Are you a daily writing routine person or do you just write when you have something to write? Um, I work kind of constantly um, and I get very anxious if I don't. Uh, when I finished my last book, I managed to get the the period between finishing the manuscript and moving into the, oh, my God, I'll never have another idea, I'll never write another book, uh, terror down to merely 12 hours, which I was pretty impressed with myself impressive. about. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I work most days. We, I have small, we have kids and I kind of in charge of them and I do a lot of freelance work so mm. a lot of my time is sort of you know domestic stuff and I guess doing doing work for money but I try and write as much as I can and I, I try to I try as much as I can to kind of break up periods of time when I can work in a fairly concentrated way because I'm quite slow as well you know I mean I'm not one of these people who can write 3,000 words a day you know I write a thousand maybe mm. you know if that's a good day you know so I'm quite slow as well. So how do you balance the work that you do as a critic with writing your own novels? Because I'd imagine there'd be a kind of paralysis in a way when you know how critics work and that notion of putting your own work out there in front of critics as well. Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it's certainly, it is certainly a thing. Um, David Maloof once told me a story, which I'm not sure if it's actually true. It might be just a David story, but it was a great story. And he said that the thing to do to stop yourself worrying when a book comes out is you go away and you write the worst possible review that anyone could write of your book. And then <laughs> you know that nothing you could get could be worse than that because you know what's wrong with it better than anybody else. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think there is a real, that kind of sense of, that sense that you are, acutely aware of all the ways something can go wrong, you know, is certainly something that's there. I mean, I think one of the other problems with doing kind of critical work is because you're, because you read a great deal and because you're looking at a lot of what's coming out kind of at this very moment, you become a bit aware of why your book is like every other book. (laughs) I mean, it's harder. It's not even that I find that the issue for me is less about feeling that I, feeling that there's this kind of critic on your shoulder or that, 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 that you're acutely aware of the rubbishness of your work because you're pretty aware of that at any time. It's more that what I feel is the, I guess, the lack of, I guess, kind of relevance or newness or something of what I'm doing because you look at all these other books and you think, God, they're so much more exciting than what I'm doing at the moment. You know, so that's, that, that's certainly there. Yeah, that notion of, oh, just another book. 
here's another book of the 40 just another this book. month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who needs another book? <laughs> you know, particularly when those other ones are so good. I mean, and that also happens. I mean, I just read the Richard Powers, the new Richard Powers book, The Overstory, which is just extraordinary. It's an amazing book, you know, and I finished it and I thought, this is everything that I've wanted to do for like the last 10 years and he's done it in a book. And there's a level, which at one level that's really inspiring mm. and at another level <laughs> you find yourself going, why, so why do I need to do it now? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you approach a book review? Because I, I feel like in this day and age of the Goodreads review, the notion of, of the art of book reviewing has kind of, you know, as its own discipline has been lost a bit, but it is definitely a true art to write a great book review, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, look, I, uh, I'm pleased you call it an art rather than a craft. Um, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I do think that the, that the kind of – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the, the cultural status of the book review has definitely diminished. The cultural significance of them, of that kind of notion of the review page, has been diminished by that kind of democratisation of opinion around books. And in lots of ways, that's a really, really good thing. Mm. Um I, you know, I, I do think, though, that there's something that kind of good professional book reviewers bring to it, which is useful. I mean, they often bring a kind of depth of knowledge, which is great. Um, but I think what they tend to bring is a sense that they're speaking to an audience, you know, that they are, you know, that they are trying to connect this book to an audience. And then, you know, you do that in a whole series of, ways um some of which are about um some of which are about just you know placing it in context thinking about it in kind of terms of what's what's all out there in terms of traditions and things but i mean i think the other thing you're always focused on as a book reviewer is you're you're trying to write something which is entertaining something which is interesting something which you know, it kind of meets a number of things all at once. So it, it is quite an it, it's an interesting it is an interesting process. You know, and and one that is I think harder than it looks. Mm, definitely. All right, let's move on to your new novel, The Buried Ark, which is the second book in the Change trilogy for young adults. So, first of all, where did you find the inspiration for the trilogy, and how did you know it was YA and not for adults? Because this is a bit of a <laughs> departure for you like why is it YA what made it YA why did you not write this story for adults um well I, I wrote the book I, I kind of came up with the idea about the time I guess after I'd kind of finished Clade and it was off you know it kind of went off into the world of agents and publishers and things and that can all be a bit slow mm. um and I had this kind of unassigned summer and I had this quite clear kind of image of these kids wandering through this kind of alien forest. And I guess that's kind of where the book began in that, in that kind of, that, that, you know, I had this very vivid image in my head. Um, but I think also I, I was really keen, Clade is, I mean, Clade's a novel in parts. It's what the people sometimes call a mosaic novel. So it's set over three generations. It's in, I think it's 10 section. <laughs> I forget how many sessions it has. Um, uh, um, uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't have a central narrative. And I, I, I don't know, I was attracted to the idea of writing something which had a very strong narrative, um, which was not something I'd done for a while, and something that was a kind of adventure story, which was not something I'd done before. And I do think that that process of wanting to do different things is really important. I hate 
feeling like I'm repeating myself when I write books. Um, you know, and in fact, I find that completely paralyzing. As soon as I start to think I've done this before or I know how to do this, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it came out of that. I mean, I think there was a series of questions I wanted to think about about the, the transformation of the landscape by climate change and the way it's affecting us psychologically and, and things like that that I wanted to think about. Uh, so that, that was all going on. And I think the YA thing, I think I knew from the beginning that the central characters were well, not children, one's a teenager, mm. um, but, you know, that they were young people. Yeah. And I suppose I suppose that meant I understood it was YA kind of from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I thought of it that way, though, because I, I, I'd been reading a lot of older science fiction when I wrote it. So I, I guess in my late 40s I started going back as some people do and kind of reading a whole lot of books that I'd read when I was a teenager. Now I guess it's because I had kids and I'd, I'd started thinking about them. And I'd been reading a lot of the books that I loved when I was a kid, which were a, a lot of them were those kind of British science fiction novels from the 70s yeah. that were for kids by you know, John Christopher and Alan Garner and people like that. And I was really, I was really excited reading them again because I loved the kind of spareness of them and the directness of them and the, you know, the kind of weirdness and eeriness of them. And I, I remember thinking that was something I really wanted to capture in a book. Wow. So you went out, you set out to do it? Um, I don't know that I set out to do it, but it was certainly in my mind. I love that kind of spareness and, you know, kind of tautness that those books have got, which, which is very unlike a lot of the fiction that I've been writing in the past, you know. Mm. So that was it, was, it was really about trying to, I guess it was. I guess it was partly about having a story that I wanted to tell, and it was partly about being excited about trying to write in a different kind of way. You know, I, like I said, I kind of love that process of trying to write different things, trying to work out how to write in different ways, because it's that's how you keep it interesting for yourself. So, has moving into the YA sphere demanded a different approach to promoting your books as well? Like, are you online more? Are you doing? Are you out there doing school talks? Like, has there been any sort of um, direction from your publisher or anybody about like taking those books out to the readership? Um, I've done a bit. <laughs> um, I, no, perhaps they don't think I should be out there with the readership. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, it has been different. I mean, you're you promote adult books in a very particular kind of way. YA books are not and kids' books are not promoted in that way. I've certainly done some school stuff, which has been really fun. Um, I I suspect I should be online more than I am, but I I was kind of – I wrote a blog and stuff for years, and I always feel like people's social media and online lives have a kind of arc, and I'm definitely in the downwards <laughs> – senescent stage the waning i I think i'm through the waning into the kind of i go on it when i feel like it kind of stage but you know i i so no i mean i probably should be i probably should work harder at all the social media stuff but i just you know to be honest i i find it increasingly difficult to deal with psychologically Mm. i find that whole world of social media extremely you know, I just I think like a lot of people, I find it psychologically quite difficult to be around. You know, it, it makes me feel bad when I'm, you know, yeah. it's not so I, I don't like it some of the time, but I do, I do find that increasingly its negatives outweigh its positives. If that mm. makes if that makes sense, oh, it does absolutely. And you know, and it eats up your time. I, 
I I made a decision recently not to kind of be on social media during the day and not to look at it on my phone. Mm. And I suddenly realized that I almost never got my phone out of my pocket and I was reading, you know, another book a week. <laughs> and, you know, it was just really striking. And I remember thinking, and what am I spending all that time doing? Yeah, you know? right. That's the question you have to ask yourself, isn't it? What am I doing? Do you think that, you yeah, know, well, you've been an author now for like 20 odd years. Do you think that, um, do you think it's changed? Like, is there is it more difficult or less difficult? I mean, are there difference, differences to what you've sort of noticed, you know, when you first started out to where you're up to now? Um, I think it's changed a lot in a whole lot of ways. Um, I think that the economics of the industry have changed enormously. I mean, as with almost every industry, there's been a real, I guess, kind of polarising of the industry, you know, I mean, it used to be that there was a, a big tranche of kind of what they'd call mid-list writers who were people, you know, who did all right, weren't brilliant, weren't bad, you know, and then a few ones that were really successful. Now there are still some people who are very successful, um, but that middle group has kind of dropped out, you know, so things are, it's much, much tougher, I think, for a lot of people financially. Um you know, I mean, I see that working in the working in the media. I mean, you you know, my my rates of pay have not actually increased in kind of twenty something years. Mm. You know, so that's you know, <laughs> so I mean that that the, the kind of economic stuff I think is it, it makes it all much harder. I think it's much more competitive. Mm. Um, but I also just think that the kind of conception of the role of the writer has changed quite a lot, yeah. and you know that kind of sense that writers need to be sort of public figures engaging with their audiences and kind of multi-skilling themselves as, you know, commentators, entertainers, you know, all of that kind of thing is is much more pervasive, you know, which is fine for some people. Some people are very good at all of that. But I think lots of people become authors because they – you know, they don't want to do any of that stuff. Yes. They want to write books. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. And I'm okay doing all that stuff. It doesn't worry me. But I, I do think that it places a whole series of demands on on you as a writer that, that were not necessarily there Yeah, it's before, a different career to what you know. it used to be. It's a quite different career, you know. And, I mean, I also think, I mean, I think some of that stuff's really good. I mean, I think some of that stuff about a kind of more, direct relationship with your readership is fantastic. You know, that's all, yeah, well, sometimes it's fantastic. It can also not be very nice, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, in general, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, I do think that you, you hear from readers, you get to know readers and that, that's been, you know, I've been a bit negative about social media before, but I think that was one of the great joys of social media and blogging was to kind of actually have that kind of direct relationship with readers and, 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 talk to them because that's always so fascinating to hear what people think. So, I mean, I think all of that's, that's changed as well. But, you know, I think it's an extremely different process to what it was. Mm. All right. We are going to finish up today with our uh, final question, which is always your top three tips for aspiring authors. So, you know, hit us with those, James. What have you got? Mine would be really easy. Um, I think you should write the thing you want to read. Right. Because I think that people, you know, I think all of that stuff about trying to guess what the market wants, trying to guess what 
publishers want, trying to guess what you know agents want, is not the way to write a book. You know, not first of all, it's not the way to write, write a good book, but it's also not the way to write a book you want to write. I mean, there's a you know, the rewards of writing a book are not great in financial terms. So you should write the book you actually want to write, you know, and then work out what to do with it, if that, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. You know, because, um, I mean, then, it, you know, I always think you're much better off creating the thing you want to create and then working out what to do with it. And sometimes the answer to what to do with it will be, well, it'll go in my bottom drawer. But mm. you've written the thing you wanted to write and you will feel good about it. Mm if that's what you've done. Whereas if you write something that's not what you want to write, the odds are, even if it goes out into the world and does all right, you probably won't feel all that great about it. Um, I reckon the other one that really matters is that you need to finish things, um, <laughs> which sounds kind of trite, but it's actually true. You know, that thing about pushing through to the end of a draft and forcing yourself to finish something, it's so important, you know, because it's so easy to give up. And I mean, I'm, but I'm a bit inclined to give up myself, but you know, you get to the end of something and almost always what you got is better than what you thought you had, you mm-hmm. know? So I think that's incredibly important. And I actually think the other thing that really matters is just kind of trusting, trusting the work, you know? I mean, I think that it's incredibly easy to get discouraged and to feel frightened, you know, cause it's a hard process. It's a long process, you know, but and sometimes things don't seem to be working at all, but I always think at the end of the day, the thing you're working on kind of will reveal itself to you eventually. You know, so that kind of trusting that the answers will be there and that if you keep just plugging away, they'll reveal themselves to you is, you know, absolutely vital. Fantastic. Excellent tips. Thank you so much for that. And thank you very much for your time today. I very much appreciate it. Um, of course, James's latest novel, The Buried Ark, is available now. It's the second um, instalment in his YA trilogy, so you should definitely be checking that out. And uh, we wish you all the best with it. No, thank you very much. It was great. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Awesome. That's a great interview, Al. Very cool. Yeah, it was great. It was, I really enjoyed it, and I, I hope um, I hope listeners enjoyed it too, because I think it's so, always such a fascinating process, isn't it? Listening to how people yes. how people develop their careers, it's really interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Let's move on to our working writers' tip this week. We have a question oh. from Haley, who has said, um, "I was wondering." Um, 
what your tips are for getting paid as a freelancer. I've previously not been paid by clients in the past and find it heartbreaking trying to invoice and chase up businesses who just end up ignoring you or expect you to do it for free. What is the most professional way to approach this kind of situation and avoid it in the future? Now, I also just sought some clarification from Haley, like what kind of clients and it was more like um, copywriting clients. So, okay. you know, like like businesses, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. So, um, so you can answer this one yeah. then because I haven't actually done a lot of that kind of work for quite some time. I've done a few um, freelance stories for editorial over the last, you know, six months or so, but I haven't done any copywriting um, sure. client work for quite some time. So it's all over to you, Val. All right. So what I would suggest, Haley, if, you know, you're concerned about this and particularly if you're working with clients who haven't worked with many writers before, so they don't, you know, she Haley mentioned to me one particular business was already using her copy and still hadn't paid. Oh. So my suggestion in the future is number one, take a deposit. Before you even start, they need to pay a third or half of what the expected amount is going to be and then have milestone payments. So if you've got to deliver – you know, a, a whole bunch of things, let's say 10 web pages, you take a deposit before you even start. And then once you deliver, say, five web pages, you have a, you, you might get paid another quarter. And once you deliver the whole lot, then you might get paid another quarter. Um, that's just, you know, just to give you an example, it don't, you don't have to divide it up like that. You might divide it up third, third, third. Or um, in some clients, you might even be able to say, hey, um, it's upfront payment. That's probably not as common. It is common to take a deposit before you start work. So that would definitely be my suggestion for that is is not do all of the work. If you're concerned or if you think that a client might flake, you don't do all the work or heaps and heaps of work and then invoice. Do Make it clear from the start that you're going to do milestone payments, you know, so don't surprise them. Don't start the process and then go, oh, by the way, I'm going to do milestone payments. Um, make it very um, – clear cut in writing this is the way you operate and and then go from there so that would be my suggestion for future ones Haley. hope that's useful do you think that that's that's a good idea Al? i just, i think you're a star absolutely <laughs> Haley, listen to val she knows what she's talking about <laughs> all right anyway that brings us to the end of this week's episode where do we find you online al You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? Uh, you'll find me at Valerie Koo on Instagram. I must say that on Twitter I'm not as active as I used to be, but I need to kind of go revisit that. And, of course, you'll find us both in the podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It would be great to have you in there. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.